CGM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca. Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA Windsor On on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Christine Payne will be giving us the latest on CFPDP. So how are things with CFPDP? Things are busy and moving forward, as always, at the Canadian Foundation for Physically Disabled Persons, or CFPDP, as we are also commonly known. In June, the selection board for the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame held its meeting to review uh dozens and dozens of incredible nominations that uh, that came in for 2023 and we have announced the three inductees uh, for 2023 to the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. So in that sense I'd imagine it's an incredibly laborious process. I mean there are so many people adding so much to the disability landscape at all times. It's not to say that anyone's not worthy of it gets nominated, but but there are some who are just doing such incredible things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it it, it gets harder and harder for the selection board each year to, to choose just three people out of so many nominations, so many very, very worthwhile nominations. And one of the, um, you know, before we get to to talking about the inductees this year, um, the chair of the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame, the Honourable David Crombie, who has has been chairing the selection board, um, you know, since the very beginning, so for 30 years now, you know, he stated that all of the 2023 inductees have demonstrated outstanding commitment, you know, incredible passion, and really an extraordinary impact on improving the lives of people with disabilities in Canada. 
So, you know, as I, as I've mentioned, as you mentioned, you know, it's difficult to pick just three people, one in each category and the selection board, you know, has a, you know, has a difficult job of doing that, um, each year, but you know, they do it and we've got our three inductees for 2023. So I'd imagine that these inductees work is seen as trailblazing that once uh, the door is open for the disability community it's not like things are going to become more difficult but uh, more opportunities would be granted because somebody set that precedent and achieved to that level. Well I mean all of the inductees we've had 123 so far into the Disability Hall of Fame and we will add three more uh, at our induction luncheon, our 30th annual induction luncheon, this coming October the 13th at the Fairmont Royal York Hotel in Toronto. So we have announced uh, Chantal Benoit, regarded by many as the greatest female wheelchair basketball player of all time. Uh, she's being inducted in the athlete category. The Right Honourable Stephen J. Harper, uh, a familiar name to many, I'm sure, as with Chantal Benoit, he is the 22nd Prime Minister of Canada, and uh, he is being inducted in the builder category. And then in the achiever category, we have Michelle Stilwell, who has uh, really excelled in, in a number of areas in sport, in politics, and in business. And these are the three inductees who uh, were chosen by our esteemed selection board from, as I said, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of really highly accomplished nominees. And, you know, just taking a look at some of the things that that these inductees have accomplished. Uh, Chantelle Benoit, for example, I, I mentioned her, um, you know, her incredible career as an athlete, uh, all the things that she has accomplished. You know, she spent more than two decades with Canada's national team program. She's a seven-time Paralympian, and she's got three gold medals and a bronze um, in, in competing there. And she's also a four-time world champion. So really, you know, dominating on the court. And her nickname, you know, that she earned through through play was Michael Jordan of women's wheelchair basketball. And then beyond that, you know, she's made other um, contributions to sport, to advocacy, for inclusive, inclusivity, and that led with her being appointed to the Order of Canada. Um, you know, many, many other things that she's achieved. And another thing I should mention is that she has a strong belief in French immersion and promoting bilingualism. And recently, um, a school in her area uh, was inaugurated uh, in her name, the École Elementaire Chantal Benoit. So, um, you know, certainly a, a very deserving inductee into um, the Disability Hall of Fame and her legacy as a player and as an ambassador will undoubtedly continue. Um, moving from there to, to talk about... Um, you know, the Right Honourable Stephen J. Harper, you know, certainly he dedicated a lot of effort and resources towards improving the lives of people with disabilities when he was in office as um, Canada's 22nd um, Prime Minister. You know, he, he empowered a team in Cabinet, he empowered a team through federal appointments, um, so that there would be people there to help make life better for the disability community. Um, you know, just taking a look at the number of 
policies that, you know, the Harper government initiated and implemented. I mean, there's everything from introducing the the RSDP, sorry, the RDSP, the Registered Disability Savings Plan. Uh, you know, there was the Opportunities Fund for Persons with Disabilities, which helps um, people prepare for, obtain, and maintain employment or self-employment. You know, that fund was enhanced by the Harper government. There was the Enabling Accessibility Fund established in, in 2007. Um, you know, and beyond there, the list, you know, does just go on and on in terms of, of what was accomplished while he was in office. Um, additionally, I think it's important to look at the fact that his government helped advance the Paralympic movement. So there was financing for the 2010 Winter Paralympics in, in Vancouver, ongoing funding for the Canadian Paralympic Committee, and also support for the Special Olympics. So, and we also have, um, in the achiever category, Michelle Stilwell, who really is a, you know, a remarkable individual who has succeeded, you know, both in sport and then also in politics and business. So, you know, six-time gold medalist in wheelchair basketball and athletics. She is the only female um, Paralympian to win gold in two separate summer sport events. She's a nine-time world champion. She's a multiple world record holder. And then, you know, went on to serve two terms as a member of the Legislative Assembly in British Columbia. She was the Minister for Social Development and Social Innovation, active member of multiple national and international boards. And, you know, again, her resume and accomplishments go on and on. So those are um, the three people who will be inducted uh, coming up in October. So... Do you have any advice or words of wisdom for those who uh, might be wondering, could I ever achieve at that level? Are my accomplishments worthy of a nomination? Or should I continue to push forward? I think, you know, everybody should continue to push forward. And what we all achieve is, um, you know, we're all working in different areas. So certainly um, every person who is working at, you know, their profession should continue to strive for excellence. And, you know, anybody who is, you know, working in a field and making a difference in their field is certainly uh, someone who should be put forward for nomination to the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. Nominations are open now for 2024. So anybody who's listening to this show uh, you know, if you're a person who um, feels that your accomplishments should be recognized, you know, we encourage you, don't be shy. Find someone to nominate you uh, for the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. Let's get these nominations in front of our esteemed selection board. Now, certainly each year, as I've said, only three people can be chosen according to our charter. Our selection board, you know, goes through each of these applications. They spend an incredible amount of time poring over them, considering the achievements of everyone, deliberating. You know, it's quite a process, but I think everyone should be proud of their accomplishments. And, you know, if you know someone who's deserving, please nominate them. If you yourself feel that you should be nominated, please find someone to nominate you. We absolutely encourage it. And nominations can be made through our website at cfpdp.com. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us on again, Cam. It's my pleasure. In this segment of our show... 
Casey Craig will be telling us a little bit about CUTE syndrome. So what can you tell me about the CUTE syndrome foundation? Great name, by the way. Love it. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Casey Craig, and I am the executive director for the CUTE syndrome foundation. And our foundation is a organization, a nonprofit organization that helps support families uh, with that have a genetic mutation called SCN8A. It's a very rare sodium channel mutation that typically causes very aggressive um, epilepsy and then a myriad of other comorbidities, um, autism, and then most of our kids are wheelchair-bound, nonverbal, have G-tubes, um, a few have trachs, things of that nature. So we help support um, you know, increased awareness of SCNAA. We fund scientists and researchers that are helping, um, you know, find out about SCNA and how, what are different medications or what are different approaches um, that we can help treat our kids. Um, and then also we're here to help support our families. And we have some pretty cool grants that we just started this year to, to directly help families. So I'm curious, uh, when you mentioned some of the effects there, uh, given that it's so rare, is there ever a risk of misdiagnosis or being confused with another cause of, say, autism? Yes. You know, a lot of the time we've talked to parents, and this is including my own daughter. My daughter, Stella, has SCNAA. She's seven. And a lot of our kids that have the really aggressive type of epilepsy, they start at a very, very young age. My daughter was six weeks old when she had her first tonic-clonic seizure, and a lot, a lot of doctors misdiagnosis diagnose it as reflux, and because the, the child is screaming sometimes in between the, um, the seizures, they're arching their back, they're doing all these movements, and it's just so rare to have such an, a, a horrible seizure um, and the length that it happens at such a young age, and so yes, misdiagnosis of reflux, um, the harder to detect seizures, you know, the ones that you're like, hmm, is that a seizure or not? It doesn't look like the one you see in the movies. Um, then sometimes those are also just kind of um, looked past and, and said, oh, that's probably not a seizure. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that there are sometimes where kids are getting misdiagnosed. Um, but genetic testing is... It's just the key to everything at this point, right? Um, I know when my daughter was going through her genetic testing when she was three months old, uh, it took us over three months to get those results. And sometimes those results are coming back now in a week or two. Um, and so once you have that genetic you know, mutation noted, then it's a whole new approach on how they treat. So when you say it's very rare, do you know offhand about how many people are affected? So in our particular foundation and the people that are with us in our support group, we have about 475 um, patients. Now, we know that there's more out there um, that aren't, you know, haven't connected with us. And so if I had to throw out a number, I would say we might be close to 1,000. Now, that is worldwide. So you know, that kind of goes to show how rare this is. When my daughter was first diagnosed, she was one of about 150 at the time. So how do you reach out to those who might potentially be affected and uh, let them know that your work exists? Yeah. 
So we have a big uh, presence on Facebook and socials. Um, I feel like that's kind of where people go at first. They, they start searching either Facebook, Google. So we have a private support group that people are able to see if they search, um, and then they can request to become part of our group. We are um, pretty private in the family support group, where only family members um, that are giving direct care, such as parents, are able to get into that group. That way, parents feel very confident and being able to vent and to be able to talk about hard things that sometimes other families just don't understand. Um, the Cute Syndrome itself has a public-facing page as well. Um, we have an awareness day every year where we really push um, socials and throwing out awareness. Um, we have a web page, thecutesyndromefoundation.com. And then um, we also have... Um, different groups that were, you know, that we go to do their events, such as um, the Epilepsy Foundation, Epilepsy Association, different walks, things like that, that we try to go to and get tables so then that way we're there and, and spread awareness so people know um, what SCNAA is. To be honest, a lot of our kids' um, parents go in and, and they're the ones telling their doctor about this genetic mutation. They had never even heard of it before. So... In your time with the foundation, has there been any success story that stands out for you? Yeah. Um, sorry if I get a little emotional on this one. It's okay. <laughs> um, so we had a we ha had children pass away from this, and this is a um, very serious uh, uh, medical diagnosis. And we had a child. Um, his name is Connor, and Connor passed away at the end of December, and he. It just brought so much light. All of our kids do. They bring so much light and joy uh, to our lives. And his parents, um, when he passed, they 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 told him that he, they were going to continue his legacy by helping other families with SCNAA. And so it just so happened that when I took over as executive director uh, last year, that this was a project that I really wanted to work on as well. Unbeknownst um, that this is something that this family also was hoping to work on. And so we came up with a patient assistant grant, and we did it in honor of Connor. And so it's the Connor James Smith Patient Assistant Grant. And so many of the times, our families are told no, and they have to jump through so many hoops to get the things that they need. And so we desperately wanted this patient assistant grant uh, to be easy for, for patients to apply for, and to get what they need. So we don't have a whole lot of parameters. They obviously have to have a diagnosis of SCNAA. Um, and then they discuss on uh, an application of what do they need. And we that could be help paying for a wheelchair or a walker. Um, it could be a, a swing, an outdoor swing that's adaptable for their kid to play on. Um, it could be help with medical bills. We have pay, helped pay for two burial costs um, for kids that have passed away and their parents don't have the means to be able to, to cover su such an unexpected cost. And so, so far we have um, approved, just as of this year, um, seven different grants uh, and it's been close to trying to think of the amount we're up to. I think we're close to around $18,000 that we have helped um, families directly pay for the things that they need. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. 
Things. IndyLink will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or addiction, consider registering to the new REACT program launched by Downtown Windsor Community Collaborative. REACT is a 90-day program committed to understanding your story and supporting your journey to healthy and long-term healing. All sessions are online and completely free, running weekdays from 9 a.m. until noon. Visit reactwindsor.ca and instantly be connected to a safe and supportive community. That's reactwindsor.ca. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy-Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA Windsor On on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Christine Payne gave us an update on CFPDP. And Casey Craig told us a little bit about the Cute Syndrome Foundation. In this segment of our show, Haley Flara will be telling us a little bit about Ability New Brunswick. So what's the latest with Ability New Brunswick? What's the latest? Yes. Um, so, New Brunswick, it's quite exciting times. We're working um, closely with government on the development of accessibility legislation. Um, there was a select committee, all-party government committee on uh, accessibility that held engagements and consultations um, in the last year, and uh, the report was released at Christmas, and now um, the legislation drafting has begun. So, what are some of the key areas that you're looking to improve legislation on? Well, certainly build env built environment, um, service delivery for people with a disabilities and ensuring that the province adopts the social model definition of, of disability because right now there's inconsistent definitions. Um, we're also looking to be the first province to have really clear, uh, a really clear component to legislation on sport and recreation and parallel sport and recreation and move forward to a regulation on that topic. So we're pretty excited about that. We certainly want there to be a pillar on communications and accessible uh, communication um, and its availability and, and required access. So uh, we're, we're pretty excited to, to see the, and we certainly, I guess, last but not least, want to see a strong pillar about um, employment and employment first and seeing our provincial government be a leader in the hiring and, uh, and uh, upward mobility of people with a mobility, or people with a disability. So I'm guessing that uh, many of the recommendations, persons with disabilities throughout the province were uh, were asked for their input as to uh, as to what's needed. Yes, people submitted videos, uh, submitted briefs. Um, our organization submitted a brief ourselves, you know, with the, with recommendations from the people with a mobility disability we work with. So there was consultation that that took place, and people. Um, Anyone that requested an opportunity to present to the committee um, was granted that. So, do you anticipate any challenges in uh, getting the legislation improved? 
Um, well, you know, there's, there's always going to be differences of opinion between community and government, but we've actually, where the report of the select committee, they got it 100% right of what the pillars should be in the legislation, and uh, our New Brunswick Disability Executives Network, that's 10 provincial disability organizations and their executive directors from throughout New Brunswick, um, we, we kind of address and, and uh, provide services to all people with all types of disability collectively, and... Uh, we um, have been drafting our own framework and legislation, which we've presented to government to look at. So we're really, really, we're really hopeful that they'll take a look at the research that we've done. We've talked to our partners throughout Canada of what they would have liked to see their own legislation do differently, and uh, we've presented that to government. So thus far, has there been any success moment in your efforts that stands out for you? in the legislation's uh, process so far. Yes. Um, I, I'd say that um, the biggest success was that the, the all-party select committee, you know, it, it's it's nonpartisan. It's it's a group of diverse uh, members of the legislature that came together to, to consult and engage um, on the legislation. And so we, um, I, I think the big milestone was that their report got it right. They identified the pillars that need to be at the forefront of the legislation in New Brunswick, and now that it's being drafted. So um, I, I think that is the greatest success. It's very rare that a disability organization like ours would 100% endorse a report, and we 100% endorse that report. So I want to speak to one of your earlier points about uh, the lack of a universal definition in the eyes of uh, some of the policymakers. Do you think that stems from any myths or misperceptions regarding what a disability is and its overall impact? Could you repeat that question? So, earlier you mentioned that uh, there wasn't exactly a consensus in so much as uh, definition of disability, and you were looking to get that changed. Do you think part of the issue is that... Uh, there are some myths or stereotypes concerning what a disability might mean? I, I do. I think there's still, uh, with many um, policymakers and, and disability service providers in government, there's still this um, really archaic view of, of disability um, from a medical model perspective versus the social model, which identifies it's not the disability that's the roadblock or the barrier. It's it's our systems. It's our society. It's our infrastructure. So um, we one of the things that we notice is every department has their own definition of disability and unfortunately our department of social development has been a largely medical model view of disability which has made it very difficult for people with confirmed diagnosed disabilities to to receive adequate services so it's time to flip that script and uh, to modernize the definition of disability to align with the accessible canada act and the un convention on the rights of persons with disabilities new brunswick is living in the dark ages on the definition right now not alone in that, I can assure you, but do you have any advice for uh, anyone who wants to just better educate themselves or be more inclusive, just uh, taking that first step forward? 
I, I think there's so many resources out there to learn more about disability and and and, and disability types and the impact that uh, that our communities, society, service delivery can have on people with a disability when it's not designed in the right way. So my advice would be to reach out to your local disability organizations in New Brunswick, Ability New Brunswick. We work closely with a, a mobility disability, um, you know, to uh, and we have various modules that we can link people to to learn more about living with a mobility disability and and some of the barriers that uh, that present in terms of again built environment service delivery communications uh, employment etc so reach out to your local disability organization like ours many of them have free programs uh, that offer education and training like to thank you for taking the time out to do this but if you can stay on the line for a sec that'd be great great my friends I wanted to take a moment to congratulate this year's Hall of Fame inductees. All the nominees have a lot to be proud of. The fact that the disability community even has a Hall of Fame bespeaks the fact that people are coming to recognize there are some amazing achievements, things that aren't just blown out of proportion because they were done by a person with a disability, but genuine change, and that's something it may start in one community, but it can extend to many others. The fact is, any step towards equality betters us all as a people. This year's inductees have a very great deal to be proud of. Even those who haven't made it in yet have done some amazing work. I know for a fact so many of them give their time, their talents, their abilities just to making the world a little bit better. Because honestly, disability is not a hat you take off when you're out of the limelight. It's not something you put away when it's inconvenient. It is a part of your everyday life. Making things better for yourself is great. Building something for those around you says, I really care about this more than just me. It's about bettering us all. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.